You're listening to Better Than Yesterday, a podcast that will inspire the chase to your best self. My name is Angelo Kelly, and I'm a creator who escaped the traditional nine to five. On the show, you'll hear conversations with elite athletes, mindset coaches, and everyday people who talk about their personal journey to a life of passion. I appreciate you guys being here. Now let's get rolling. What's up, guys? Welcome back to the Better Than Yesterday podcast. Thank you so much for joining me for this week's episode. My guest today is Amy McGuire. Amy is a nutrition coach, and she also coaches CrossFit and competes as well. I'm super excited to release this one because this was actually in person. This is one of the few podcasts that I got to do in person since March, basically. So I've been holding on to this one, excited to get this out to you guys. Amy is an awesome coach, awesome person. And I know you guys will love her. So without further ado, let's kick it over to the interview now. All right. In-person podcast. I can't believe this. This is something that's so rare at this time. Amy, thank you for being here. Hey, thanks for having me. This yes. It's going to be cool. So we, uh, we connected a couple of weeks ago, had an awesome conversation, and I'm excited for this. Yeah, me too. So let's just get started with your background a little bit. Um, you're in the fitness and nutrition space. So how'd you get here? Uh, it was a long ride, I guess, to officially get here. Currently finishing up a degree in nutrition and dietetics from Westchester University. But uh, to get me there, it was back through kind of selfish pursuit of wanting to learn about health and nutrition and kind of fitness space. Became a personal trainer. Also with that was then certified nutritionist. Uh, and then from there decided to kind of further it with more of like science-based background. So nutrition and dietetics kind of rolled my foot in the door for that degree. Yeah. What uh, personal training certification did you get? Uh, nutri- uh, National Personal Training Institute, at lo- Philadelphia location. So a little selfless, selfless plug there for MPTI. They're really good. It was in person. It was actually a six-month in-class program. So we had 300 lecture hours and 200 like in-the-gym equipment hours. So great. I would recommend it to anybody. Great way to get like actual in-person education, not just reading from a screen. Wow, that's 300 hours sounds like a long time. It was a long time. Yeah, it was a long time, Monday through Friday. It was essentially like real school in that sense, but uh, it was more like trade school. I wasn't in a university. Yeah, and we were kind of talking a little bit before this, like you didn't go to college right away. So what kind of was that decision like? Yeah, so I, during high school, was a good good enough student. I got honor roll a couple times, but I wasn't that interested in uh, school and learning and all that stuff. Uh, got accepted to Widener University, had a scholarship, wanted to go and run on their track team. That was mainly the thing I wanted to do. And then was enrolled in a uh, computer science degree, which is not anything that I'm doing right now. So definitely not the route that would have been smart to take. I had already kind of accepted my acceptance and was kind of foot in the door, like ready to go, and then backed out, um, decided that I just wasn't going to go to school, didn't know how long that would be for, if I would ever go back, took a two-year gap, and then uh, during that last six months was me going to school for personal training and the nutritionist certification. Then after that was an internship at CrossFit Westchester, had some connections through the school to make my way there. And then uh, after my internship, decided to go back to school. So that was kind of that little route. 
Nice. That's definitely like the unconventional path, but I think it's I think it's definitely a beneficial one. Yeah, definitely what, unconventional. What uh, what events did you run in track? Uh, I was four hundred meter dash, more like the relay, so four by four, a little bit better than the open four hundred. Uh, four by one, so hundred meter relay, and then hundred meter hurdles. What's your best times in that? Ooh, that's a good question. My best. 400 split was 62 seconds not the fastest i'm also short but uh and then my best see i was on the four by one relay so i don't actually have an, a, a relevant split for 100 100 meters or 400 meters but i do remember 62 was one because on a 400 from start to finish you kind of end at the same spot 100 meters you're not exactly at that 100-meter mark because there's that transition for the baton. So I don't have a 100-meter time, but my hurdles, 100-meter hurdles was 16.9. Not the fastest, but not bad for, you know, 10 hurdles along the way. Yeah. Hell yeah. That's interesting. We used to do, uh, at KOP, we used to have, like, a track night. Oh, really? And we, it was, like, CrossFit Endurance. Oh, and we, cool. would, we would do, like, the 400, the 800. I Oof. love that stuff. It, like... The, the time trials I love, but the, yeah. the actual training that it takes oh, is like, it's terrible. Brutal. I remember we would do 400 meter repeats and it's like you want to puke, but you have three more to go. So you can't puke yet. And you got to, you know, you don't really want to puke in front of your high school teammates, but you just, it's man, 400 meters, I would say is the worst event. Second to that is the 800 because you're still sprinting and it's now double the distance. You can, you can pace slightly in an 800 but there's no pacing in a 400 you're all out sprint for a full minute basically yeah that's rough i think my best was 58.9 at the track okay so yeah. i got you by a couple seconds but <laughs> yeah, yeah there's a lot oh, of things man. that you're probably better at me than track and that was i haven't tested a 400 on a track since probably high school so i, I don't know that i'm as fast as i was then but i could probably come close to being there I bet you probably just don't want to, though, like, <laughs> at this point, if you don't have to do it. I don't have to do a full-out 400. I do a lot of 400 repeats and different things like that, but it's more of a pace per my mile time. So it's more like, okay, I got to get better at my mile time for CrossFit and things like that. Uh, but, yeah, definitely not training for 400 sprints anymore. So we'll, uh, before we touch on CrossFit, you did karate when you were younger. Yes. So you, uh, you had a pretty good career in that. Talk us through kind of what what that was like yeah so i started when i was seven years old and it was more so that my parents wanted me and my two sisters to do it my older sister and i started at the same time she's about a year and a half older than me um and they put us in that because we're all short blonde <laughs> girls at, at the time just like well still blonde but a little older now of course um so they wanted to put us in that. We had a family friend who had a school, and then that association is a little bit bigger, but then his specific school, he worked with my dad. So we kind of, I kind of knew him already, but again, at seven years old, I don't really know that many adults. Um, and I didn't want to do it, but they got us in there, and I was kind of bribed, but also my parents were forcing us to do it anyway. But it, it turned out to be positive in the beginning. Definitely can't say my whole um, karate career was me enjoying going because there was definitely some points in time where I didn't want to go and I was dragging my bag to the car because I had to but in the long run it ended up being awesome I did it for 15 years um, traveled and competed on our 
national and international teams. So, and it's AMCOR Karate, A-M-K-O-R. So shout out to them. They're awesome. And I definitely wouldn't trade it for anything. Even when I didn't want to do it, looking back, it was, it was a good thing. Yeah, I was watching some of the YouTube videos. Those those <laughs> fights look uh, pretty intense. Oh yeah, that's those are the good old days. Just fun, like going out in the ring, put your helmet on. It's go time. Yeah, like what's like what are the rules? Because I did, I kind of like it seemed like every time there was contact, it kind of just gets stopped. So I, I didn't really understand it fully. Yeah. So when people think about fighting, they usually think like UFC in the cage type where they don't stop it unless somebody's actually like pinned down or, or knocked out. We're dead. <laughs> yeah, or we're dead or something like that, right? Uh, in this case, we do point sparring. So every time they stopped it, somebody was being awarded a point for controlled contact where you would tap the head or the chest. Um, you're not allowed to hit belt or below so like legs are off limits in terms of scoring a point like you might clash legs and a kick or something like that that's okay but it's more like front of the chest side of the head no back of the head for safety reasons no front of the head because you're not uh, you don't have any face covering so it's all controlled point sparring so you have to throw your kick as hard and as fast as you can but then just touch them really lightly which is pretty hard to do sometimes yeah have you ever gotten like knocked out or anything uh, no official knockouts. I've been hit pretty hard. Uh, I've never had like bloody nose or anything like that. But like, you know, you take some hits. Yeah. I would say I probably took most of the hits during training where it's like, oh, I shouldn't have blocked that with my face. Like took, just <laughs> took a kick to the nose. Like, oh, great. Um, but when it came to actually being in the ring, things are, things are controlled, right? It's more of a controlled environment. And they're stopping you a lot every time a point's awarded. So no, I didn't take too many hits during that but i mean it's inevitable at some point yeah i guess karate is more like a strategy game it's not like where the ufc you're just trying to beat someone's ass basically yeah karate is like you're strategic absolutely definitely strategy and you're definitely uh executing things with like as much technical paralysis as you can um and they teach you to they teach you to fight, right? But it's not like, okay, you're going to learn how to beat somebody up in a fight. It's more like you're going to learn how to recognize the behavior of somebody who might start a fight or start trouble. And you're going to know how to de-escalate that or get yourself out of the situation before it happens. If it ends up happening, you're going to know how to stop it. Not so much like, okay, I'm going to teach you how to beat this person up. <laughs> <laughs> it's not just like a throwdown. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. yeah. So there's a lot more like philosophy behind the whole martial arts realm uh, in terms of aside, I guess UFC, I'm sure has that. But from what the perspective that the public sees, it's more like heavy hitting, whereas this is more controlled, mindful movements, things like that. Do you have any like big takeaways that you've got from karate? Like one, you know, kind of lesson that you always take with you? Um. There's a lot, I mean, karate shaped me 15 years from seven years old until I probably started kind of weaning out of it, 22, 23, somewhere around there. It was a slow process kind of coming out. It definitely taught me a lot about uh, like how I hold myself and how I present myself in terms of just like kind of calm confidence. Um, and then, let's see, just discipline, like working hard. I mean, you show up and you just get put the work in and you just get it done. I mean, there's a lot. I feel like it's it's kind of who I am at this point, even though I don't actively do it. I mean, Amcor says once an Amcor black belt, always an Amcor black belt. So it's kind of part of who I am, even though I'm not with them every day. Yeah. And I, I like to think of 
like the black belt system, I guess, isn't, it doesn't just apply to karate. Like to be a black belt in anything, to be a black belt in business, it takes discipline. It takes a lot of years of work. So like for me, I'm trying to be a black belt in weightlifting. There's not, there's not a belt system, but like to get to that point, what do you have to do? What, what things in training do you have to do? Yeah, for sure. I mean, you could put that analogy with anything. It's kind of just trying to like master whatever your art is, whatever the thing is that you're doing. Um, and being a black belt in, at least in our association, I can only speak for the way our association runs it, is you have to be there consistently day in, day out, never miss a class. And they keep track of the classes that you come to and they keep track of your Um, not just your attendance, but like your in-person attendance in terms of, all right, are you paying attention? Are you working hard? They're keeping tabs on that the whole year, two years, whatever the gap is until your next uh, test for your belt. And then when you get higher up in the ranks, so going from like first degree, second degree, third degree, first degree to second degree is a two-year at minimum wait. You have to wait two years and you have to earn those two years. From second to third is three years minimum, right? And some people might have to wait more, it depends. And then from third to fourth, it's four year wait, but you also have to start contributing to the school. So you have to start instructing and you have to always be there with uh, the testings that they hold or the competitions that they hold. So you're now judging at competitions and you're helping out kind of behind the scenes a lot. I bet you see like a lot of people fall off during that period, don't you? Oh, yeah. Um, It's just a long process. I mean, you're okay. So, you know, you have to wait four years now until the next kind of big event happens in your little career there. So, yeah, a lot of people fall off. And then it's also when like life happens. So you start at seven years old, six years old. And then by the time if you kind of test on schedule, so to speak, you're going through college during those last chunks of years so a lot of people go off to college that's very common and then they may or may not come back yeah it's hard it like any it well being a mat like mastery at anything is you just need time oh, like you sure. can't replicate time just be those four years i'm sure there's a lot of times that you don't want to be there or there's <laughs> other things that you could be doing but it's like yeah this is what's required of you Oh, absolutely. And then at that point, though, if you're going for master's and you've been in it that long, even if there's days, because with anything, there's days you might not want to be there. But at that point, it's kind of like a way of life in that sense. You're not just like, okay, X amount of days until I can test, X amount of days until I can do this. You're kind of in it. Because at that point, I was instructing. I started uh, becoming an assistant instructor when I was 16. So that was like my first job, right? is my instructors taught me how to be an instructor because they were sort of shaping me to be one of their uh, instructors down the line, which then helped me, of course, uh, refine my own technique and things like that because if you want to get really good at something, try to teach it. Not everybody can be a teacher, and it's, it is kind of this art aspect of teaching somebody technique, but if you want to get better at something, try to teach it, right? Because yeah. then you'll notice the way somebody else moves, and then you can take that and apply it to you how you move. Yeah, I have a hard time with weightlifting. Like I can, I can look at somebody and see like, okay, you're doing this wrong, but 
I have no cues how to fix it. <laughs> like, yeah. I have no idea what you're doing wrong. <clears throat> yeah, so that's like that art of like, okay, you can recognize like something's not right there. But then, okay, how do you break it down and actually figure out the movement pattern and what it is? Which I think martial arts really helped me become a good coach because through instructing and like learning how to be an instructor in martial arts, martial arts is all movement pattern and technique. It's spatial awareness. It's moving your body through space. Uh, and then it's when you get higher up, it's dynamic kicks and dynamic movements. And then in the fighting technique and stuff like that, it's not just you moving anymore, but it's you moving around somebody else's movements, countering and things like that. So it definitely helps with overall like body awareness for myself. So taking on other things, weightlifting, CrossFit, it helped to just know where my body is in space when I move. And then now, okay, I'm moving an object with my body. How does that all apply? Yeah, I saw those head kicks that you were doing and spinning. <laughs> it's crazy. Did, did you do like any flexibility stuff for that? Or is that like when you're doing it for that long, are you just kind of, you just get the technique? Um, oh, yeah. They they make a stretch before every class, no matter what, uh, for a warm up too. But you have to be flexible. It's kind of something that they kind of shape you into being flexible. You can almost think of like a gymnast. They're stretching every day and they're doing things to kind of prep their body for certain movements similar to that i mean i can do a full like straddle split flat on the ground but i couldn't always do that it was kind of like forced in me for a while so yeah it's like forced stretching but it's in the long run it was good and i would have never gotten that without having to kind of go through the little painful process of you know stretching yeah that's awesome so what what was your experience like interning at, at crossfit westchester Oh, that was so much fun. They're a great crew. Uh, very, very well versed in CrossFit and personal training movements and things like that. Um, it just was a constant learning process. I already was an instructor. I was still instructing martial arts. So like I was already coaching in some sense, but now it's like, all right, we're going to dive into coaching in a different way. So it's just taking instead of martial arts, now we're going to be here in CrossFit and at that point, I had finished up or was just about to finish. I think there was a little bit of overlap. My personal training and nutritionist certification. So I had all this new like knowledge about moving with a barbell and uh, teaching back squats, air squats, different movements, just that you see personal trainers you know, do with people. And I had been bodybuilding beforehand, so I kind of was already in the weightlifting area. Um, so it was just like, all right, I have all this book knowledge and then that in-person experience from my certification, but how do I go about applying this with like a real client? And that was kind of like that little bit of a bridge that I needed to gap. And they were great at teaching me that. I mean, I'm still there. I, I, I work there. I've been there for six years. So they just never could get rid of me, more or less. <laughs> <laughs> That's really cool. Yeah. I think like the internship process is super valuable. It's... Uh... I think now like a lot of people don't want to work for free or don't want to do the small stuff like don't want to clean the bathrooms or don't want to sweep up the platforms yeah absolutely i mean that's experience that i could have never like paid for like, i mean obviously i did it for free right and i could never buy that experience like going to school and in the uh national personal training institute's certification that we go through we're working with like our fellow students as like mock clients but i mean of course my mock client's going to move well because they're in this certification with me right so 
it's never that experience of teaching somebody from scratch, right, that you get through an internship or something like that. And yeah, I cleaned their toilets and I helped clean the floor and I helped wherever I could. So it's definitely an invaluable experience. What do you think the difference is between like personal trainer and coach? Personal trainer, so there's a little bit of crossover. Personal trainer is more one-on-one usually, right? And then it's kind of taking that person, mapping everything out for them from almost start to finish, right? I'm gonna have them for an hour, I'm going to warm them up, I'm going to take them through every drill, count their reps, do all this stuff, uh, more hands-on. Coaching is this individual already kind of knows what they're doing to some sense. I run a warm-up with a class, they have knowledge, they just need that feedback here and there, but I can kind of watch from afar. I'm not counting their reps and I'm not taking them through every single set, right? They're more self-run, but they have this guidance. So I would say it's guidance versus like all all hands-on. Yeah, I think like CrossFit's done a really good job with the the coaches are pretty high level. And it's like, it's kind of crazy when you see the amount of people who do the level one you're like, not everyone can be like a good coach here, but every CrossFit gym I've been to has has great coaches and, and a lot of knowledgeable people. Yeah, from what I've seen, there's, a, I mean, I haven't been to that many CrossFit gyms, but yeah, a lot of them are highly educated. The ones that aren't, aren't going to last. So yeah. that's one thing. It's kind of this self-weaning process of if you're not a good coach and you're not trying to be developing yourself into a good coach, you're not going to last and you'll probably end up finding something else. Yeah. Do you enjoy like coaching more or being an athlete more? Oh, that's tough. I like both. Coaching is so much fun. And since I've been doing some type of coaching since I was 16, it's always something that kind of I enjoyed. And it's so rewarding to like see that light bulb click for somebody and you're like, you got it. Like there it is. Or watch somebody get a PR or their first pull up or they finally hit that box jump RX because they were afraid to jump on a 20 inch box. And it's like, you have them through these progressions, they're both rewarding experiences because then when you're an athlete, you were the one getting that PR or getting that uh, higher box jump or whatever it might be, right? So it's, all right, I'm going to watch somebody else succeed, but then I can also succeed with them. And being both is, it's pretty awesome. I mean, it's kind of hard to decipher which one I like better. I love competing and I've been doing that for a long time. Um, But seeing somebody else succeed is just as awesome yeah i have a hard time with that like for me right now i want to be the best athlete possible so it's like yeah it's hard for me to expend that mental energy on like wanting to help somebody else improve and i think like you kind of you can definitely see it through people in the gym who are who are the coaches who aren't even coaching people who are saying like hey you lifted your butt you lifted your chest up or whatever off the ground and are super helpful and then i'm like just sitting there like i feel bad sometimes but but i think like eventually i will go back and and kind of share the knowledge but at this point i'm definitely an athlete through and through yeah it can be tough to balance sometimes because uh at both gyms that i coach at i also am sort of athlete too like when i do a class i just try to be a member right i try to just kind of be in the back I don't try to be overbearing. There's already a coach in the class. They don't need me to coach. So that's when I really try to like step back and just communicate with members from more of a I'm with you perspective versus like, hey, I'm going to coach you while I'm doing it while there's another coach, right? So I do try to find that line. 
Um, it can be tough sometimes, though, when, you know, no matter what gym I go to at this point, I'm Coach Amy. So somebody could come up to me at any point and ask me questions, and I'm going to kind of put on pause whatever I'm going through and help them. And it, it always is nice to help somebody, but sometimes it's like, ah, oh, I've got like 20 minutes to quickly get this piece in because then I am coaching. I'm going to have my class coming up. But then hold on, I have, I'm like in the process of helping people at the same time. Definitely not a bad thing, but sometimes can be a little overwhelming for sure. So are you competing in CrossFit now? Uh, well, currently the circumstances don't have <laughs> yeah. many competitions, but uh, I, yes. So I'm, I'm training as if there's going to be a competition, as if we're kind of prepping for the online qualifiers to kind of come back up again. So like the games just ended, the new season's going to be rolling in. So the qualifiers are going to kind of come back online. Uh, the open's going to come up. So I'm training as if that's going to happen. We just don't really have any dates or any set plans at this point, but yeah. And then you also did weightlifting as well. I did. So that was, I spent probably four years, I want to say, pretty much committed to weightlifting. Even though I was coaching CrossFit and I dabbled with it here and there, I wasn't really competing in it. I kind of did the opens, but didn't really commit to many of them until the last couple years um, at this point. But yeah, so competed in weightlifting first, dialed in technique and strength, and now I'm kind of CrossFit route. I think if you're going to be competitive, that's the way to go. Because like in CrossFit, you need a certain level of strength. And if you don't have that, it's very hard to develop that while also trying to get better at every single other thing. For sure. CrossFit is one of those things that you always have something you can get better at. It doesn't matter how good you are, you're still going to try to get better. I mean, you could see that showcase like T and Matt. They're better than they were the year before, even though they were the best the year before. And they say it themselves. They go in every day trying to be better than what they were the year before. And they've done that. So it's, yeah, it's like a never-ending ceiling. I don't even understand, like, how good they are. Like, how do you win the games five times in a row? And, yeah. like, Matt, I think what he got, like, two finishes that weren't first place. Yeah, I think they were both second places, too. So he's just better at literally every single thing than every other person. Yeah, now they're, like genetic freaks i mean they work so hard you can see it and obviously nobody can deny how hard they work but they're definitely like gifted in their athleticism as well so it, it's crazy yeah it's just kind of like inspiring but like wow how like how can they be that good yeah i think it has to do like you also work a couple jobs you have other stuff to do besides just eat and train yeah most most people and a lot of the even a lot of the higher level athletes they're working jobs too they're doing other things some are in school so they do have some things that kind of pull them away from that although I think it was like Matt's first or second year he did have a full-time job and he's talked about that but he still was like coming in second place at the game so I don't, I don't know how he's pulling that off but hey it's just hard work yeah Hard work pays off. Exactly. I love that. I love that uh, <laughs> so simple. Yeah. So uh, you had a pretty, uh, I guess, significant health battle back uh, back in the day. So can you kind of walk us through that? Yeah. So it was Lyme disease. And I got the official diagnosis for that. It was September of 2013. So I was in that kind of gap couple years after high school. So I graduated high school in 2012. And then it was shortly thereafter, September 2013, that I was tested for Lyme and then was positive. And it was like, okay, 
I mean, you hear about people getting Lyme disease and the doctor just tells you, take three weeks of doxycycline and you'll be fine. Um, and I, it was kind of not necessarily random, but a little bit random that I got tested for it. I was starting to get a little bit tired and uh, my dad, we live on a farm, so it was something that we knew about. And my dad just kind of said, well, hey, why don't you get tested for Lyme? I know it can do a lot of different things. And I had, which is an odd thing, I had a bruise on my arm at the time, but he kind of pointed at it and was like, oh, could that be the, um, the kind of infamous rash that comes with Lyme disease? But I knew it was a bruise because I had got hit there in karate, right? So like, to me, it was like, no, that's just a bruise. It was like yellow. It didn't look like a rash. Uh, but I decided to just like, all right, I'll listen and I'll go to the doctor and get a test. Turns out it was positive. And the, the tighter that they do, the testing, it's like a uh, 12-tiered titer. So there's like 12 little things that could, I guess you could say, be like turned on for positive. I had nine of the 12 like turned on. So nine of the things lit up as being significant for something positive. Each one means something different. I don't know what all of them each mean, but there are some that mean you have the antibodies, meaning so Lyme disease has been in your body long enough for your body to produce the antibodies against it. Uh, so I had those ones lit up. So it's like, okay, I've had it for some number of time. We don't exactly know. And then there's the ones that pop up for it being currently active. I had those as well. Then there's some other ones. I'm not really sure. But at any rate, it was Lyme disease. And it's like, okay, three weeks of antibiotics. Sure, I'll take them. By the time that was over, I didn't feel any better. I still felt, if anything, I felt worse because the antibiotics make you feel worse. It's that... Uh, they call it like a Herxheimer effect where you get a lot worse before you get any better. And it's like, they say it's your body detoxing. Um, so I took the three weeks of antibiotics and told my doctor I felt not better at all. So he's like, all right, here's three more weeks of antibiotics. It's like, okay, like, sure, I guess I'll take this. And I mean, I'm 19 at the time. So who, who am I going to listen to other than my doctor? Yeah. So it's multiple months now of oral antibiotics. And then he still was like, well, you should feel better at this point. I still didn't necessarily feel any better. He's kind of like, all right, we'll give it some time. It might be like post-Lyme syndrome where it's you got to let the antibiotics get out of your system. Like, all right, sure. A uh, couple months still go by after I had finished the antibiotics, still never felt better. So I did some self-research and found a disease specialist that I went to. So went to him told him everything, brought in my labs. He goes, okay, we'll test you for Lyme and we'll test you for other uh, tick-borne illnesses that might come along with what Lyme could come with. And it turns out I had one of those too. So I had Lyme disease still, that test was positive still. And then I had this other thing called Babesia. It was a low level and that one, um, it attacks your blood cells, like red blood cells. And I had a slightly lowered count, but not anything that anybody might think would be, um, a red flag, except for I also have this positive test for this thing. So that was another process of oral antibiotics. Um, and then I decided to go back to school. So kind of linking this in the timeline of when I went to personal training school, I had just finished up my first chunk of treatment, had a couple, like a month or so gap, decided to go back to school. And then during my school for personal training, which is a six-month program, is when I had my second treatment because I still felt pretty shitty, right? 
So I went back and then during the last three months of my certification was on antibiotics again for that, which is kind of rough. Yeah, I bet. Yeah. Is, is there like a, is there a cause or like something that, you know, your diet or something you did or it's just like, it just for Lyme happened. disease. Yeah. That's so it's a tick bite or a mosquito bite and the oh, tick wow. or mosquito carries the disease. So uh-huh. it's not something that I could have ever prevented except for, Hey, don't get bit by a tick or bit by a mosquito. I lived on a farm and we were aware of ticks and stuff like that. I always knew to check myself for ticks, but a deer tick is so, so small. It could look like a freckle and I have a lot of freckles. So it's, it's something that could be easily missed. So yeah, there was nothing at the time that I could have been doing, I guess, except looking for ticks better right yeah um yeah it was just so i mean and that's not even the end of it so that second treatment that ended as i finished my certification and rolled right into my uh internship it was ending after i kind of started my internship so i'm still on antibiotics with my internship but but managing right they're oral antibiotics so they're not that strong i mean it really messes up your gut and stuff like that so i had to take a lot of probiotics and do a lot of stuff to try to help my gut but it was not unmanageable the more unmanageable one came probably a year or so maybe not quite a year later um but the Two days after I turned 21, I had one last treatment that I went through. This one was with a pick line. So a peripherally inserted catheter, which the nurses will know what I'm talking about if any nurses listen to this. It's essentially like an IV that they put through the vein of my bicep that ran through up my arm, across my chest, like into my heart. So the antibiotic treatments that I would get would essentially get right into my heart and dispersed throughout my whole body. And it was an IV, so they would hook me up. I'd go into the, um, this was with a Lyme specialist. So I went and saw a third doctor at this point for this one. Uh, I would go into their office. They would take my vitals. They would put me in a nice, comfy, big chair and hook up my arm to their IV. And I would get IV antibiotics five days a week. And that was for three months, I want to say. Three months of having that IV surgically put in my arm and it just stayed there. So... That one was the tough one because those antibiotics were a lot harder on the system and then they were given in a way that's like inevitable to get everywhere. You don't have to try to get through stomach acid killing off, you know, some of the the uh, oral antibiotics and things like that. Yeah. And you're just glossing over the fact we talked about this before, but you're competing in weightlifting during oh, yeah. this time. Yeah, yeah. We did, we did talk about this. That's right. So I, well, and actually if we want to talk competing during this my second treatment the crossover between finishing my personal training school starting my internship that time frame of those oral antibiotics for babesia and Lyme at the same time I um, tested for my fourth degree black belt in martial arts so I was still actively in martial arts and then I also competed so the fourth degree black belt test was kind of like a special year where they combined our national competition with our testing so i tested for my fourth degree black belt and the next day competed out with everybody else uh on the competition floor and i was on antibiotics which again the oral if i compare all of the treatments the oral antibiotics weren't as bad they were still terrible i had to train less um so much so in which we talked about leading up to my testing 
I went into my instructor's office and basically was like, I'm not ready for this test. I don't think I should do it. I haven't been training enough. Granted, it's only been like maybe two months of training slightly less compared to the, at that point, probably 13 and a half years of my life training for building up to that uh, fourth degree black belt test. But in my eyes, I wasn't being consistent. I was uh, unable to put my full energy into everything. I was often kind of in the other room working independently at my own pace, which for me just wasn't who I was. I wanted to be out there training hard with the group, everybody else, um, and sort of like in my eyes earning my spot at that test. And uh, my instructor basically was like, no, like you're testing you're ready, like you've been doing this for so long, uh, you're going to test no matter what. So it was more like, okay, I'm, I'm definitely going to test because he's going to make me test. But also it was reassurance and like, okay, he thinks I'm ready. He doesn't think I'm slacking. And that was in my eyes a big deal where I felt like I was slacking. So does that reflect in my instructor's eyes if I'm slacking or not? Um, but then also with the weightlifting, when I had the pick line in, so this is, I guess, kind of the cool but probably shouldn't have done it don't tell my doctors that I did it type thing I had before I started that pick line treatment I was signed up for a weightlifting meet so now we're talking this is like 2014 time frame so a couple years after that uh martial arts test and competition so I have this pick line in my arm I'm not supposed to use that arm too much because there's you know surgically inserted a line in there uh, but I'm an, I'm an athlete. I like to move. I'm not somebody who just wants to sit down all the time. So I was training. I was definitely being mindful of my arm. I didn't use it as much, but I would squat and I would lift and things like that. When they did finally kind of clear me to like, okay, you can do some overhead stuff. Be careful. I was snatching. I was clean and jerking. I was doing all that stuff, still being mindful. Um, but I did end up doing t- towards the tail end, a weightlifting competition with the pick line in, I just put an extra wrap around it so it wouldn't move. And I went out there, uh, snatched, clean and jerked. I think I might have, I had a peer, I think, in something. I honestly can't remember, but it was just awesome to still be able to do what I love doing, even with all the adversity of that treatment and stuff like that. Yeah, that's badass. <laughs> that's really, that's, uh, that's like inspiring that going through that time and you're kind of, like you didn't do anything to cause it like you got sick and there was nothing you could really do but you're like no I'm still gonna do everything that I love doing yeah it was definitely and I might be painting a more lighthearted picture of it but it was definitely really tough and if you ask anybody who was around me a lot back then like you could tell I was sick I looked sick some people uh who were closer to me even was kind of like saying like yeah you you do look sick like if you just look at me it looked like something was wrong even if the pick line was covered up the people who I trained with at the gym they could tell I mean and the the owners knew I was going through that and they were all super supportive and honestly being at CrossFit Westchester was so so helpful because they just treated me as if I was just Amy right they knew that I couldn't do as much stuff and that a lot of times I was just kind of there to be there I wasn't working out I was just hanging out but they still treated me as if I was just Amy right I wasn't I mean yeah I was sick but I wasn't sick in their eyes were like oh they need to coddle me or, or or treat me any differently which was really helpful to have that and same with martial arts because and this probably was the time frame that I really started to wean out of martial arts and move more into weightlifting and CrossFit. Uh, regardless of 
the internship and kind of the coaching aspects that I was getting into. But I couldn't do martial arts with the pick line in because there's so much arm movement. And I, I wasn't supposed to sweat with the pick line because you can easily get an infection because it does have a small wrap over it. And if there's moisture under there, you can get skin infections, which I ended up having um, an infection under there. And that could cause you to go septic. So if that infection gets to where the port actually is going through the skin, well, you could go septic. So I could have had like a really bad blood infection, essentially. Never had that, thankfully, but came close to it because I did have a really bad um, like bacterial skin infection on the surface. It was like an inch by inch square around the opening of the port that didn't have the infection because they were constantly putting a little antibiotic like pad over it to keep it clean. But everywhere else around it, it they the, I mean, the doctor basically yelled at me, was like, stop working out, stop sweating. You're clearly doing that because this wouldn't have happened. So I did for a chunk of weeks not do any exercise because that had to go away because, I mean, that could be could have been a big deal. Um, I don't even remember what the question was that I was answering, but at any no, rate, it was yeah. kind of like, it was, now this is probably the first time that I really talked about it. I mean, I've talked about it to certain people and, and the people who were kind of there as I was going through it, but it's now kind of like reflecting on all those moments. And it was, there were some pretty dark times going through some of that where uh, you just, you know, all right, get to the next day, get to the next day, kind of thing, stuff like that. Like, okay, we're almost there sort of thing. Yeah, and at like 19 or 20 years old, that's like supposed to be your prime. Like you should, yeah. be, do it, you should be athletically peaking. You should be, you know, partying with your friends. And right? it's like you're just sick. <laughs> yeah, and it was two days after my 21st birthday that I had the pick line put in. So... I celebrated my 21st birthday with a bunch of friends and people from CrossFit and stuff like that. And I kind of knew in the back of my head during like my 21st, like, okay, in two days, everything's going to change. Like, okay, you're, you're not going to be 21 anymore. You're, you're going to be going through treatment, no alcohol. You can't, uh, that'll conflict with the antibiotics, have to kind of refocus and try to be as healthy as I can sleep, eat well which is tough to do during that, like sleep-wise, because, I mean, the antibiotics just wrecks you. I mean, I remember getting two hours of sleep a night just because of the way I felt. So definitely some tough times. Yeah, that sucks. So what do you do now to, like, kind of, like, obviously you couldn't have controlled that situation, but what's your, like, your personal diet look like or your sleep habits to kind of keep your health in check? Yeah, so... Uh, going through my nutrition and dietetic degree, I definitely have this broad range of knowledge now that I build off of that's sort of shaped how I approach my own nutrition. Um, back then, I used to be more of like a eat clean freak. It was kind of like, okay, eat everything that is the good food, no bad food, like no donuts. I mean, I don't really like donuts that much anyway, but like no cookies, no this, no that. And I had kind of this like hard line between the two nowadays more relaxed um Lyme disease is one of those things that I don't know if I'll ever get it again and I don't necessarily know if I got a retest if it would be negative or positive because I'll always test positive for the antibodies right so in some sense it could still be in my system it's just a matter of like okay am I symptomatic it's kind of one of those things I don't really have an answer of do I have it do I not 
It's just like, all right, am I symptomatic? How do I feel? Am I waking up and feeling okay? Um, so in that sense, I take it day by day. But in terms of my nutrition, I do try to eat well, right? And I do my own nutrition uh, for myself in terms of like, all right, how, ma- how many carbs, proteins, fats, stuff like that should I get a day? Definitely more relaxed. I like Pop-Tarts. I like uh, chocolate. Um, not a huge pastry person, but like muffins, things like that. Like I'll eat that stuff. But most of what I eat is like clean foods in the sense that like, okay, lean meats, nuts, seeds, vegetables, carbs, like sweet potatoes, rice, things like that. Yeah. The whole foods is like, it's so simple. Like you just have to eat. And and I used to be the person who was like totally whole foods, like chicken, rice, broccoli. I'm not eating anything. Yeah. And then Saturdays I would destroy my digestive system by eating (laughs) an entire pizza and Ben Uh and Jerry's. Been there, done that. So I think the balance piece is huge. Like, yeah, if you want to have a pop tart, it's not gonna, it's not gonna affect your nutrition, exactly. especially if you're doing it like around your workout. If you're gonna have, you know, a bowl of cereal before you train, it's probably pretty good for you, actually. Yeah, I mean, you're getting those simple carbs that your body's gonna use before and after that workout. So, it, it, in that sense, and then there's the okay, I'm gonna eat for my exercise and athletic training endeavors versus am I going to eat for just general health? And those are two different things. So you kind of have to paint the picture. And when I work with athletes versus working with everyday people, the athlete, it's like, all right, you just need to get like a lot of calories and a lot of carbs depending on the type of athlete. So you might have to get that in cereal, in a Pop-Tart, in a Nutri-Grain bar, things like that. And they have to eat so much anyway that that one Pop-Tart for the day is not going to do anything. An average everyday person, it's like, okay, you don't need to get that many simple carbs and you're probably not eating that much anyway in hindsight. You just want this health and longevity. Hey, eat more whole foods, eat more of this. But if you have a Pop-Tart or you have something that you like, maybe they like a cupcake every once in a while or whatever it might be. It's not the end of the world, but there's definitely a difference between training for an athlete and eating for their training versus eating for the everyday health endeavor yeah so you mentioned you're working one-on-one with clients in nutrition right Mm -hmm. yep so what's like what's your clientele base it's mostly everyday people just looking to it's like somebody comes to me and says hey i want to lose 10 pounds or hey i just want to know what i should be doing every day to be healthy it's more health-based everyday people from uh the crossfit gym so i'm a crossfit westchester and crossfit mfp so i coach at both of those and then i have a handful of clients from both of those mostly everyday people but then i have a handful of people who are athletes who are training for crossfit or training for weightlifting or maybe they are training for marathons or something like that and it's like okay that's definitely a different way to go through their nutrition versus the everyday person so it's a mix of both but mostly everyday people nice do you have do do you have any like thing common themes that you see with people who like are just getting into nutrition that just like make mistakes all the time on like one one little thing that everyone kind of comes in with uh yeah the theme that i probably see the most is they come with me with a certain number it's like hey i want to lose this amount or i want to be this certain weight and i'm like well where did that come from like what does that number mean to you like why do you have that specific number in your head so it's kind of first debunking that because like all right 
you could have somebody who weighs, let's just take like, or we'll take myself. So I'm about 138, right? I don't even actually know my body fat percent at this point, but I'm definitely leaner than I used to be, right? Um, and I weigh the same that I do now than I did four years ago, right? Except my body composition is completely different. But it's like my weight is pretty much the same. That number is the same, but it looks so different. If you had a before and after picture with this four-year time of working on my nutrition and my fitness, I look completely different. So it's like, okay, you have this number in your head, but what if I told you that that number didn't change to the number, like your start point didn't get to that number you have in your head, but you're more muscular, you're leaner with everything that you wanted, the number's just not matching up. And most of the time they're like, oh, I'd be okay with that. It's like, okay. So that number really doesn't matter in hindsight. Like, yeah, we could make you lose weight, but what if we're reducing your body fat percent, but you're also getting stronger, right? And maybe the number of your total weight's not different, but your body fat percent is different and your skeletal muscle mass is, def- is different, right? More skeletal muscle mass, less body fat. That number could end up being anything right in between we just don't really know yeah i think that kind of comes down to like working with clients who fit well with you because some people might just say no like i want to be 130 like or i want to be 120 and it's like and you can have that conversation and it doesn't really resonate with them like they just want to lose weight or they just want to you know make a change yeah for sure and i mean there's clients that i work with who have that mindset more and it's like okay hey we'll do what we can to see what number we can hit. I'm like, I can't guarantee that that exact number makes it happen. But if you go through like a weight loss phase, which if I kind of mapped out a weight loss phase, it would be a duration of eight to 12 weeks long, right? Progressionally uh, reducing calories throughout that time. And then when you're looking at like the weight loss trend of a weekly average weight, you wanna see anywhere from a half pound to two pound decrease on average, right? So if you lost a half pound from the average weighing of week one to week two, well good, you're on track and we wanna see that continue. So I explain that to people where it's like, okay, we can lose about a half pound to two pounds on average a week, It just kind of then depends what that equals out to in the 8 to 12 week process. I'm like, we can see what we can get to. But of course, I can't guarantee anybody a specific number, right? That's just so hard to do, a number on the scale. How long do you usually work with clients? Uh, It depends on the goal. There are some that I've been working with for many years because maybe their goals keep changing or they just like the accountability. On average, I'd say it's between three and six months. I like to have at least three months with somebody if they're looking for body composition changes. If they're just looking for like a tune-up where they're just like, oh, I just kind of want to know what I should be eating and that's about it. Maybe we work together for one month and they're not necessarily looking for a body composition change. They're just looking for some kind of plan that they can just roll with. So there are a very select amount of people who it's been like one month. Mostly it's like three to six months to get that body composition change process done. Yeah, the, the small changes are the ones that last. Yes. I think a lot of people want to... You can't undo 10 years of damage in two months. Exactly. And that's definitely a conversation I have with most people who come to me with wanting a body composition change. And maybe they've done like so many different diets, crash diets, fad diets. So in their mind, they've been working at this for a year or two years. Whereas like, okay, in hindsight, you might have been doing something, 
but it wasn't doing something enough to get you moving in the direction that you wanted to be going in, right? You were just changing things constantly or following a fad diet that makes you lose a lot of water rate, water weight right away, but doesn't actually make you in a caloric deficit to lose body fat. So a little different there. What do you think about the carnivore diet? This is like completely off topic, <laughs> but I've been seeing this pop up on Instagram. These one, these two dudes who I follow just did like a 30 day thing and they got super lean and like look really good, but I like, you can't tell how somebody feels. Do you have any thoughts on it? Yeah. So my first disclaimer with any, uh, extreme paths of dieting or lifestyle in terms of nutrition is they're usually like you have to look at sustainability they're usually not sustainable in the long run just given the society that we live in so like keto uh carnivore diet uh different extremes right we have to like first break that down like do you think you can sustain this for a while um carnivore diet like my opinion on it it, it depends. I mean, I've never personally done carnivore diet, but I've done something like keto before, very low carb. Um, essentially, you're low carb, right? Because you're doing the carnivore diet. So yeah, you're going to get lean because you're depleting your glycogen stores. You're probably in a caloric deficit. Depending on the way you do the carnivore diet, you're probably in a caloric deficit. Depends on how much fat you're getting from it. So there's a lot of these variables that it's like, okay, it could be successful in somebody's eyes in terms of I got really lean or I lost a lot of weight, but it's not going to be the same for somebody else who does it differently, right? It kind of all depends. Um, I don't think any athlete should do it and most everyday people probably shouldn't do it either. If you want to self-experiment, by all means, you should always self-experiment and then take notes, see what it does for you. But uh, it's not something that I would put a client through. Yeah. So you're the expert. You can give a scientific answer. I can just say I did keto for two days <laughs> and it was terrible. I was hungry. I didn't know what to, like I had salmon for dinner and then I was like, well, I can have an avocado. And then I'm like, do I get like carbs or rice? Like potatoes, yeah, yeah. what do I eat? I thought it was absolutely terrible. Yeah, I hesitate to say that I'm an expert because I'm still going through school and I always want to be learning. And I feel like if I label myself as an expert, I'm not going to be like continuing on. So hesitate with that. But with keto, it all comes down to doing a urine test to see if you're in ketosis. And that's when you really know you're doing keto, right? It is low carb. So if you're eating low carb, you could be keto-ish, right? Um, but yeah, it's pretty much vegetables low starchy vegetables because you want low carb any meats and any fats more or less uh, and you're going to be hungry for a while in the first week or two because your body's changing to not having carbs and your body's probably used to getting them um it can definitely be one of those things where it's not sustainable for people to continue to do because it's so extreme so that's another thing it's an extreme way of dieting uh that you have to have a certain amount of discipline to keep doing it yeah I like that mindset, how you said that, like you, you would never consider yourself an expert. I think that's probably goes back to the martial arts, oh, like yeah. always just having something to learn. For sure. In martial arts, you're always learning. Even you're, you could be sixth degree, seventh degree black belt, and that's like really high up in the ranks. You probably have your own school. You're running your own martial arts uh, business attached, attached to our association, but you're still learning. There's still somebody above you that's teaching you things and you still have to continue to work on your technique and work on your basics and things like that. So yeah, karate definitely taught me that. It's like, okay, you're, you might be good, 
but you're not that good. <laughs> so I like that. So I just have one last question. This is a better than yesterday question. I asked this yeah. to everybody. So what's one piece of advice that you can tell people small enough to write on a sticky note or post-it note, put it on the mirror, that's just going to help them become today a little bit better than they were yesterday? Uh, I would have to say one day at a time. So take, and I tell this actually to my clients. I say one meal at a time for each of them if they're struggling with that stuff. But one day at a time is something that, I wrote down in a personal journal years ago when I was going through my Lyme disease treatments and stuff like that, that it was like, okay, just get through this day. Like, you got another treatment tomorrow, just get through this one. And you're in school, you're doing all this stuff, like one day at a time, one day at a time. It just was a repeated thing. I actually got it tattooed on my shoulder because of that. It's in my handwriting too, because I took them my journal. said, I want, I want one day at a time, written exactly in my handwriting here, stick it on my shoulder. Um, so that would definitely be the advice is like, I mean, anything can change in snap of a finger, which I think a lot of people are seeing these days, all the changes and adversity people are facing. Uh, and just taking it day by day is really all we can do. That's so cool. Are you uh, accepting clients? Like where can people go if they want to work with you? Oh, uh, yeah. So probably the best way to find me if you don't already have my email is Instagram. So it's at Amy, A-M-I-E underscore McGuire, M-A-G-U-I-R-E. I do have my email on that. So or you can just message me through Instagram and then we can link up and uh, get get the ball rolling. All right, sweet. Well, thank you so much for doing this. Yeah, this thanks really for having fun. me. Once again, thanks so much to Amy for coming on the show. Really appreciated that conversation with her. If you guys like this one, tag both of us on Instagram, put it on your story. Let people know what you liked about it. We definitely appreciate that one. And if this was your first time here, I appreciate you being with us this week. Make sure to check out the other episodes if you haven't done so already. ton of great interviews with athletes, coaches, and just everyday people. So if you guys are enjoying the podcast and you have a few extra minutes this week, head to iTunes, leave a five-star rating and review. I would highly appreciate that. So thank you guys so much for the support. I'm looking forward to getting the next couple episodes out, and I will talk to you guys next week.